Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. So, um, today I, I want to start my uh, relatively, well, let's put it like this, my, a briefer than usual Sunday talk, because it's Father's Day fun, and here in a little bit I'm going to dismiss you to go have hot dogs and hamburgers and compete somewhere, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but I want, I want to start today's message by uh, just, if I can, without patronizing you, commending you for the uh, intelligence that you've shown by making a decision to attend church this morning. Now, I, I say that for reasons you'll understand here in a few moments, but there's a lot of good that happens when someone makes the decision to show up on a Sunday morning. The most important thing, of course, that happens is that we experience the presence of God in a way unique to being together. Jesus said, I tell you that if two of you on earth, meaning more than one of you, if two of you agree on earth for anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The most important thing that happens when we gather together, you know, more than one of us, two or three of us, is that Jesus promises to be in our midst. And um, what could possibly be more important than that? But the spiritual experience, the experience of being in the presence of Jesus that we regularly experience when we come together on a Sunday morning impacts everything in our lives far beyond what we experience in an hour and 20 or an hour and 30 minutes here on Sunday morning at TLCC. You're probably aware of the wealth of research that has been done and is being done studying the holistic benefits of regularly attending church services. Now, this could sound a little uh, self-serving for a pastor to talk about, but I'm going to talk about this because this is where our text takes us today. Um, so I'm going to introduce the text with this, and you'll understand better in a few moments why I was inspired to talk a little bit about this. I, I just want to uh, cite to you from a few sources uh, that I saw this week in my research about the ways that regular church attendance benefits us in, in, in all kinds of ways. Here's a Dallas Morning News article, the title, the headline, Three Ways That Regular Church Attendance Is Good For Your Health. There have been hundreds of studies, this article tells us, at universities and institutes under the supervision of trained medical experts that have demonstrated health benefits associated with regular in-person church attendance. Here are three key benefits to regular church attendance. One, a reduced risk of depression. A couple excerpts from the article. One of the biggest studies ever done in the impact of church going on depression followed thousands of adults over 14 years. Researchers found that people who attended church monthly or more had a 22,000, uh, pardon me, a 22% lower risk for serious depression than those who didn't attend after controlling for other factors that might have influenced the rates of depression. In 2019, researchers from the University of North Carolina studied the effects of church attendance on depression in adolescents. This is really, I think, important to hear, knowing what so many of our teenagers today are suffering in terms of mental health. 
2019 researchers studied the effects of church attendance on depression in adolescents aged 13 to 18. They found that kids who attended church once a week had a 20% lower risk for moderate to severe depression in comparison to young people who didn't attend church at all. So lower rates of depression, research has shown, results from just regular church attendance. The second thing they mention is better sleep. A 2017 Baylor University survey found that people who went to church regularly slept longer, fell asleep more easily, and awoke feeling more rested in the morning. Third, they mentioned longer lifespan. A 2017 Vanderbilt University study found that middle-aged men and women, which they say are people between the age of 40 and 65, I like that higher number in being inclusive of middle age, who attended church regularly had a 55% lower risk of dying in any given year. They also encountered significantly fewer bad health effects associated with exposure to chronic stress like heart disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and so on. These, the article uh, begins to finish, are just a few examples of what can be found in the medical literature. Other studies show that regular church attendance can reduce blood pressure, improve interpersonal relationships, and lower suicide rates among the long list of possible benefits. A couple more things that I saw and chose to talk about out of many uh, this past week. A CNN uh, article, researchers found that women who went to church more than once a week had a 33% lower risk of dying during the study period compared with those who said they never went. Women who regularly attended religious services also had higher rates of social support and optimism and had lower rates of depression and were less likely to smoke. A Pew Research uh, Center uh, uh, article, they do a major study every year, you've probably seen it, it usually shows up in the headlines, says this, people who are active in religious congregations tend to be happier and more civically engaged than other religiously unaffiliated adults or inactive members of religious groups, according to a new Pew Research Center analysis. Finally, I'll cite a study from the Harvard uh, School of Public Health. People who attended religious services at least once a week were significantly less likely to die from, quote, deaths of despair, end quote. Deaths of despair, including deaths related to suicide, drug overdose, and alcohol poisoning, according to new research led by Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. It's really stunning really stunning to see something that, though perhaps it wasn't researched 2,500 years ago, was known 2,500 years ago, which leads me to today's psalm. Psalm chapter 122 says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Another translation, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The message has it like this. When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. There has been an intrinsic understanding for thousands of years that there is something about showing up in God's presence with God's people that should cause one's heart to leap with joy. So two weeks ago, we began a nine-week series based on the Psalms of Ascent. 
These are psalms that pilgrims recited or sang as they climbed the mountains to Jerusalem to celebrate the major Jewish feast. These pilgrimages have become a metaphor for spiritual growth, for elevating our lives with God. We've talked at length about that the last couple of weeks. And these 15 psalms of ascent, the psalms from Psalm 120 to 135, these 15 psalms of ascent give us insight into the mindset of the pilgrim, the kinds of things a person going to meet God in that context, thought about, prayed about, sang about, and shared with the others who were on pilgrimage with them. The 122nd Psalm is the third of these Psalms of Ascent, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time today beginning to teach through this Psalm, and actually, because I find so much of interest in it, I'm going to, I'm going to continue and complete the teaching on the 122nd Psalm next week, Lord willing. So, we learn a lot in this third of the Psalm of Ascent, but most memorably, it reminds us that to grow spiritually... We must regularly go to the house of the Lord, and we learn that when we do, it becomes the linchpin for prospering in all other areas of our life. So with that in mind, let's read through the 122nd Psalm. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So I'm going to organize uh, teaching through this psalm as four decisions to elevate our lives with God, four decisions to elevate our lives with God. And today, I'm just going to deal with the first decision, and it covers the first three and a half verses of this psalm, and the decision is this, decide to go. Decide to go. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about, if I can remember off the top of my head, decide to praise, decide to make better decisions, and decide to prosper, okay? But today, I'm going to talk about deciding to go. Psalm 122, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. This is what the psalmist now says, and this psalm is ascribed to David, one of only the four, one of only four psalms in the Psalms of Ascent that are ascribed to David. So you kind of have to hear this coming from David and the things that we know about him. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then when he gets there, he says, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. So, the house of the Lord in this text refers to a series of places where God said he lived in Jerusalem. 
through his presence over the Ark of the Covenant. First of all, it refers to the tabernacle of David that was on Mount Zion where the Ark of the Covenant was kept temporarily for about 40 years while David was preparing things for his son Solomon to build the Temple of Solomon. And then it refers to the Temple of Solomon, which was established on Mount Moriah, and the temple that Zerubbabel rebuilt after the fashion of the Temple of Solomon after the Babylonians tore it down. So it refers to the tabernacle on Zion and the temples on Moriah, but both Zion and Moriah were in Jerusalem. Therefore, the house of the Lord in this psalm really refers to Jerusalem writ large. It refers to to the entire city of Jerusalem because that was where God's presence dwelled. That's where God said he lived. His presence was manifest in his house, be it tabernacle or temple in Jerusalem. Now, in the New Testament, we're taught that the presence of God indwells us as believers and fills the earth by being present in the church through the Holy Spirit. We are together called the temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's kind of interesting, actually. We are individually referred to as temples of the Holy Spirit. We're told that our temples, are our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are collectively referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the temple of God is made of uh, flesh and blood. God dwells in people. But that does not preclude the importance of going to the temple. And I make that distinction because it's uh, not uncommon after years of pastoral experience to hear someone emphasize one truth to the exclusion of another, to create an either or where there should be a both and, which is to say the fact that we as individuals are temples and the fact that all of us together are the temple of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to go together to the temple or we would now say in a New Testament context, the church, the first Christians met regularly in the temple and in each other's homes. They were God's temple and they met in the temple in Jerusalem. They met in the house of the Lord. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 tells us every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and also together with glad and sincere hearts. That's where we get our pattern of we come together in corporate worship and we encourage people to meet in homes through small groups and so on. That's a a biblical pattern that gets established in the book of Acts, the story, the history of the early church. So in the earliest days of the church, they were meeting every day in the temple and they were meeting regularly in one another's homes and sharing meals together and I'm sure celebrating the Lord's Supper. As the church began to grow, and began to mature, the first Christians established the first day of the week as the Christian Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And so then it became common, and we see this happening in the New Testament, that people are meeting together on the first day of the week as well as meeting together at other times, and particularly in people's homes. I like how the Apostle Paul wrote that when we come together, we should expect God to be present among us in powerful ways. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, when he's talking about the exercise of the spiritual gifts, and there, there is an expectation that when the people of God come together, that God's Spirit will be active among them. And in it, he talks about how that these people, when they came together, were in church. And I want to make this point. They were the church which is frankly what I tend to emphasize is that we are the church wherever we go, but that does not 
change the fact that we also go to church. We are the church, we go to church, and when we're together in church, we are in the church. Here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 14. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, everything must be done so that the church may be built up in the church. Now that's an extrapolation. He's talking about, you know, what happens in the church, but I would just want to make the simple point is referring to the fact that when we come together, we are in the church. So we are the church, and we attend church, and when we attend church, we are in the church. So uh, we see this reinforced in passages. What You say, well, pastor, why are you making that point? Well, let's get real frank here. Because it's not uncommon for me to hear some delightfully wonderful person who understands part of the Scripture make a statement like, well, we are the church. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever I am, God is there. And so I don't need to go to church. I'm going to take a nature walk on Sunday mornings. It's just me and God. Some people's nature walks has something to do with playing 18 holes. They're out in nature walking and playing. And I'm in church. No, you're not in church. Uh, and I talk about golf because I don't play golf, though I, I think I'm going to take it up. I'm thinking seriously about it. I, I don't want to talk about tennis because I actually play tennis. I played an hour and a half yesterday. Tennis is fine on Sunday morning. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you clearly don't know me very well. You'd have been laughing and rolling your eyes much, much sooner. The, the, the fact is that though we are the church, though we are temples of the Holy Spirit, there is still an importance to us coming together in a place that's dwelt by the presence of Jesus in our midst. So we see this reinforced in passages of Scripture like the famous one in Hebrews 24 and 25, which says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Another translation. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Another, the, the message. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. So each of us have a decision to make each week. That's the same decision that Christians have been making for 2,000 years. And that's whether or not we're going to show up with God's people in the church on the first day of the week and that we're going to value that above all the other things that we could be doing on a Sunday morning. And you might not be surprised to hear me suggest that this should be an easy answer for all of us who follow Jesus. There should be something in us that says, I rejoiced when they said to me, they're having services at 9 and 11 on Sunday morning. Really should be a pretty easy decision for most of us to make. Now, of course, the thing, you know, the disadvantage I have today is I'm preaching to the choir. Obviously, you're here. You're here uh, on Father's Day when, you know, I mean, the men in this room, you, you, this is the one day of the year, those of you who are dads, who actually everybody in the family would do whatever you want to do. And so for you to be here today says something to me, I love you, okay? It's, it says, says a lot about you. Uh, and, you know, so the people that need to hear this kind of talk are the people who aren't there to hear the talk, which means we get better and they, 
Well, I need to stop while I'm ahead because I don't know if this is being taped or not. But um, so we we this is a decision that that each of us make every week, and we need to think about how we value it. Now, more people get this even in our country at this stage than we might realize. You may see. Negative headlines, you know, the papers seem to celebrate these types of things. You may see negative headlines reporting a decline in church attendance in the United States. But there are still many more people in church on Sunday morning in this country than there are doing anything else together. That's right. You might want to, you know, get your calculator out because I'm going to throw some statistics at you. And a lot of this is based on my own math, which isn't my best subject. But I worked hard to make sure I was accurate here. But hear this. Just, I just want to put this in your mind, okay? Recent statistics say that 20 to 30% of Americans attend church every week or most every week, okay? And, by the way, only 30% of Americans never attend church, all right? So 70% of the population of uh, our country, which is about 331 million people, attend religious services at some point during the year. 10 to 20% say they attend pretty much every week, and then there's another 11% who say they attend at least once a month. So we're over 40% of people who are actually showing up in a religious service once a month. If my math is correct, that means somewhere between 66 million and 100 million people attend church every week or most every week. The other 11% to say they attend about once per month, once per month adds about another 36 million people. So I think it's safe to say, using round numbers, that there's something like 140 million people in this country who are regularly attending Sunday morning worship services. Now, you guys, I would think most people would be surprised then to consider that contrasted with other things that are very popular on Sundays. Like, let's say, for instance, the two things I think about that provide the greatest competition, the church attendance on Sunday morning, at least with people attending of, of things in mass, would be NFL football and there's an NFL executive sitting in the room laughing at me right now. In, truly, NFL football <laughs> and kids soccer on Sunday mornings, which pretty much includes everybody who ever lived now in the United States, because that is a religion during kids soccer season, church attendance. Oh my, uh, it is really a thing of wonder to me. Uh, and I see many of you actually, and now I'm being, I'm, you know, I'm kidding about half the time when I'm talking, saying things like that. But I see many of you bringing your kids in their soccer uniforms to 9 o'clock service and then running out to afterwards, and I just want to say, good for you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're able to do both and that you're making a priority about them being here. But think about this. The average attendance at an NFL game, and I'm a football fan, just so you know, the, and I love to go to football games, just so you know. The average attendance at an NFL football game in 2021 was 67,288 people. That's a lot of people. So there are 30, if I, again, if I have my math right, there are 32 teams in the NFL 
which means there are 16 games that are happening every week where people are going in person, which means the average weekly attendance at NFL football games during the football season is 1,076,608 people. Now, that's a lot of people, and that shows tremendous and ever-growing popularity, and good for that. That's a, that's a, as far as I'm concerned, that, that, that's all good. I just am trying to paint a picture for you that there are something like 100 million more people attending church in person than are attending football games during the NFL season. Now, who would, I have to tell you, when I did the math this week and studied and researched and, you know, lost the rest of my hair trying to figure this out this week, it wasn't really any to lose. But nonetheless, theoretically, I was stunned by that number. You, 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 and, and then when you think about how many people are attending church services around the world today, it's stunning. I just want to give you a sense of what we're a part of. This has been going on for 2,000 years. This isn't about to stop anytime soon. This is going to go on, in fact, beyond this world into the next world in some way. This is the biggest thing, literally, going on in the world on Sunday morning. So you look at the United States and you say, well, 140 million people regularly attending church. And we know in Europe it's declined. I have no idea what the numbers are there. But in Latin America, the numbers percentage-wise are much larger, much larger than that. You, you go to, uh, uh, or, or South America, I should say, you go to Africa, the numbers of church attendants are much, much, much larger. You go to China. China, the, the Christian church in China is growing explosively. It's the biggest thing that's going on in the world. They don't get to meet in churches like we are, but they're meeting in houses. The fact is they're making great sacrifices to come together. Hundreds of millions of people who are saying every Sunday morning, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. My heart leapt for joy. Hey, if you want to get your heart to leap for joy, just decide on Saturday night that you're going to go to church on Sunday morning and you can join with millions and millions and millions of people who said, I was glad. I just kind of want to, you know, I don't think I've ever in all these years, 30 some years now, ever done a message on church attendance. Just for the record, seems like I should have. I wish I had thought about this 10 years ago. But the text, you know, the Psalm of Ascent, you know, got me thinking about what's going on in this guy's heart when he says, my heart leapt for joy. When somebody said, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's, we were designed for this. We need this. And if you'll pay attention, you'll notice you want this. It's not a matter of religious obligation. It's not a matter of doing our duty. It's not a matter of checking a box so we can feel good about ourselves or, you know, get our wife off our back that we attended church on a Sunday morning. It's that there's something inside of us that needs to ascend the hill to meet with God. We experience joy when we come into the house of God. So let's then start going into the rest of the psalm. Then the psalmist says that when he, so he begins by saying, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And then when he gets to Jerusalem, he says some things. In fact, most of the psalm is written from the perspective of having now gotten now to the house of the Lord. And the next thing he says is Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be 
breached. Another translation says that, 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 that Jerusalem is like a city closely compacted together. It's well built. It's, uh, it's a place where when everybody comes together, you're close to each other. It, 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 it has architectural integrity. In fact, the psalmist uses an architectural term, it appears, to put Jerusalem. He uses an architectural term, but what he's saying, it appears, is that Jerusalem is a metaphor for a life that is well put together. Where there's harmony and unity between all the disparate pieces. It's skillfully bit. It's built. It's a safe place where all of us can be close to one another and build our lives together. So he, he says, I was glad when they said, let's go. And then when I got there, I looked around and I said, this is, Jerusalem is really well put together. We're, we're, we're close to each other here. It's seamless. There are no breaches in the wall. This is, this is, this is a picture of, in many commentators' minds, a well-built life. Let, let me suggest that if you regularly attend church, that you greatly enhance the possibility of your life being well-built, just like the house of God, filled with the presence of God, is skillfully put together. I'm sorry to throw a when-I-was-a-kid story at you, but, but nonetheless, forgive me. When I was a kid, and many of you would have had similar experiences. When I was a kid, our lives were centered around the church. My mom, my 83-year-old precious mother is here today on the front row, and I'm so grateful for her. But before my dad became a pastor, um, he was, they were, my parents were, were lay leaders in the local church. My dad uh, was one of the youth leaders. And this was true as I was growing up until I was about a freshman in high school when my dad entered vocational ministry. And uh, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but this is the absolute God-honest truth, which I wouldn't say anything else, of course, to you. But we attended church on Tuesday night for youth, uh, which my dad led. We attended church on Thursday night for Bible study, uh, which I can't say that I loved as a seven-year-old, but nonetheless, I heard a lot of scripture taught on Thursday nights and always generally loved the experience. We attended Sunday morning Sunday school. Then we had Sunday morning worship, which went for like for an hour and a half or two. And then we came back on Sunday night for Sunday night services, to which you're saying, and now we know what's wrong with you. Well, you might think that I would have grown up resenting this centering our lives around the church, but of course I wouldn't be standing here if that were true. My sister and I, my only sibling, we loved it. We, we, our lives were built around the church. It was built around the relationships we had in the church. It was built around my, my parents, friends who were part of the church. It, it was, it was full of worship and, 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 and music and listening to scripture and, and, and building meaningful relationships. And it's in that context where I received the call that, you know, you guys are now, I hopefully you would consider yourselves beneficiaries of. It was in this, our lives are, are, are built around this. Now times have changed. There aren't any churches that I know of, at least of any size, that are offering that many opportunities for people to attend worship. That's not the kind of expectation that's put out there in the realities of our world today, and that's all good and fine, okay? Well, I understand that. I'm not advocating. I wouldn't want that. Probably wouldn't enjoy my job as much if we were showing up that much, okay? But, uh, 
the, the bottom line is that, that our lives were built around this regular rhythm of, of being a part of the church, and it shaped me. And so here I am today preaching. My sister is leading worship today at the church that she's a part of, Life Church in Kansas City, Missouri. We, we, we didn't grow up feeling badly about the church. We grew up being grateful our, and, 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 and appreciating and wanting to be a part of and raising our kids the, the very same way. And uh, I commend this to you as you think about what's important for your family. Here's a, this is not uncommon to receive a, 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 some kind of communication like this. This is a text. I want to read to you a text and tell you a quick story. Uh, uh, this is a text that Sharon and I received last Saturday from dear friend and longtime, probably 30-year TLCC member, Dr. Ruby Abraham. Many of you know Dr. Ruby, Dr. Abe. Dr. Ruby's a psychiatrist. Dr. Abe's a pediatrician. Abe's an elder here. They've been here forever, raised their kids here. Their kids are doing great. Anyway, this is a text we got last Saturday morning. Pastor and Sharon, we are in California for Ashish's graduation from fellowship. So Ashish, their oldest son, went to medical school and uh, uh, then he's done his residency and now he's in some kind of fellowship for whatever fancy special he's going into. So he's graduating from this in California. And she says the dinner was held last night. It was such a blessing to hear everyone talk about Ashish, what a good doctor he is, what a good human he is, caring, supportive, and such. But what really impressed me is listening to his co-workers say how he takes care of them and their families. He cooks them food if someone is sick or has a baby. He takes them little gifts, takes care of their babies and such. I was talking about it with him later, and he said, Mom, you taught me that by taking care of the people at TLCC. I know I learn it from you two, he said. And this is what this young man says to his mom. Last Friday night, TLCC shaped us, mom. I can't thank you enough. And then Ruby says, priceless. I just want to say that this is the opportunity all of us have. That when we're regularly in the house of the Lord, our lives become more well built, put together like the house of the Lord is put together as something that's mysterious and wonderful and, and just right. You have the opportunity to build your life like that, to build your family like that. And I just want to suggest to you that you might consider spending as much time at church as possible. Obviously, it doesn't have to be this church. If this isn't your church, it should be your church. It's not, this is, this principle goes way beyond anything happening here at the Life Christian Church. This is a life principle for people who follow Jesus. I would suggest you spend as much time at church as you can. I would suggest that you have your kids at church as much as possible. I read the statistic earlier, 22% lower rates of depression among adolescents whose parents take them regularly to church. I mean, what does that say about all kinds of things, about how the church shapes our life and brings us true, genuine prosperity in so many ways? Guys, this is literally, literally, infinitely, literally infinitely more important than soccer and band and cheerleading and football and tennis and golf and nature walks. And those are all wonderful, 
wonderful things that I recommend to you as well. Hey, I had two sons play college football. I, I know the drill. I, I, I know, you know, and, and, and multiple sports successfully at a very high level at, at West Orange High School. I, I, I'm all for that. I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of the college career and sometimes, frankly, would arrange church things to make sure I didn't miss a game, okay? So, so I'm, I'm all for that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. But the hollowed grounds of the West Orange High School athletic field or or, 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 or the grounds of even a sacred f- football space like the Yale Bowl where my oldest son played his college career, or, or, or I could go on and on. As wonderful as all of that is, it's, it's not the house of the Lord. And by the way, guys, neither is a boat on Lake Apokong or the beach house down the shore or the restaurant where you like to eat brunch on Sunday mornings. As wonderful as those things are, and they're wonderful. Please don't misunderstand me. They're wonderful. They have to be experienced with a proper sense of priority and what's really important in this world. They are not as well built as Jerusalem, and they won't shape your life like being in God's presence with God's people will shape your life. And I know you agree. I know, I mean, here you are, right? Here you are. I'm preaching to the choir. But share this with your friend who isn't here this morning. And then let me close. I need to close quickly. Then the psalmist goes on to say, Jerusalem is where the tribes go up. All the different tribes become one in Jerusalem. I wish I had more time to get into that today. But this is something, this is a reality that we experience every Sunday morning here at the Life Christian Church. He says, so, so the psalmist says, you know, now he was happy to go to the house of God. Now he's standing in Jerusalem. He observes how wonderful it is. They're all closely together celebrating God. And then he looks around and he sees all these different types of people. He says, Jerusalem was where all the tribes go up. We got 12 tribes in, in, in Israel and Judah, and they, they're living in different places, and they have different accents, and they come with some different customs, and make cook different foods, and, 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 and you know, they, we're, we're just from all kinds of different places. But this is the place we all come together, and we're all one, where something transcends our differences and brings us together in a unity of spirit. This is where all the tribes come. And I will say something that is pretty unique to the Life Christian Church. One of the most beautiful things we get to experience here, one of the most beautiful things I get to experience in my life, one of the most beautiful things our children get to experience here is this is where all the tribes come up, right? And that's part of what we love about the opportunity that we have for all of us to become one in one mind, in one accord, in this place every week. It is an absolute joy for us to be able to experience all of this together. Let me close with these words. It's kind of a non sequitur, but nonetheless, maybe this will set us up for next week if anyone decides to come back next week. How many of your hearts are glad that we get to have service next Sunday morning? Is it like your heart says, wow. I love the fact that this psalm is attributed to David, king of Israel. As I mentioned earlier, it's one of the only psalms of ascent attributed to him. Though there are some scholars who think it was written later, maybe during the post-exilic period. If so, whatever writer God inspired to write it wanted it attributed to David. Because if you look in your Bible, it says a psalm of David. 
It certainly captures the spirit of David, and we'll discuss this a little bit more next week. But on this Father's Day, on this Father's Day, this day that we celebrate men at the Life Christian Church, I like to think about David particularly penning these words. David, David was a man. Or we might say, or at least we would have used to have said, I'll still say, he was a man's man. He was a positive force of masculinity. He was a shepherd who killed lions and bears to protect his family's sheep. He was a trained warrior who, among other things, killed a giant to save an entire army. He was a king who successfully led a nation. He was an artist, an artistic guy, who, a skilled musician and a writer of psalms. He was a husband and a father. And he was, as Scripture describes him, a man after God's own heart. I, I like to think, you know, in a, in a world where it's typically assume, assumed that, that women are more spiritually inclined. And if that's true, so be it, and that's wonderful, and we're obviously incredibly grateful for the women who provide spiritual leadership, which we celebrate here at the Life Christian Church. But on this Father's Day, let me emphasize that I like the fact, I like to think about David writing this psalm. I was glad when they said to me that David was the one, you know, on Friday night who said to the family, guys, we're going to Tabernacle tomorrow. Guys, you know, set your alarm clocks. We'll get up and I'm going to make sure, you know, the, the car is warm. So on a cold day, we, I, I just like the idea that David's the one saying, hey, guys, this is this opportunity we have and this is what we're going to do. And I love the fact that there are so many men like that at the Life Christian Church. Men who accept responsibility to provide servant leadership to their families. Men of God who value what we have here. Men of God who are growing and learning and trying to live with integrity in this world. I celebrate you. Men after God's heart, whether you're an academic or an artist or an athlete, whether you love to hunt and fish or you're somebody like me who would only want to shoot a basketball, whether you're a Wall Street banker, a small businessman, or a dean of students, whether you're a Yankee fan or a, it's hard to say, a Mets fan, or even don't care about baseball at all, or whatever combination you are of all of the above, I celebrate you today, men of God. And... Um, I think I'm going to finish with that.